Life is fragile. It's a fact we're learning in real time, every day. What we once called normal has seemingly disappeared. There's uncertainty in the air, restlessness in our hearts. Things we once took for granted are becoming difficult to find. Our usual day-to-day -day has evolved into this odd chaos. Peace is becoming obsolete. Many have lost jobs, security, and those they love. The pain is undeniable. But what if our fragility caused us to lean harder into God? What if, in our weakness, we chose to rely more on His strength? Would our outlook change? Would the peace that passes understanding begin to drown out the noise of this moment? Would we walk in a quiet confidence, knowing our God is mighty to save? We're not promised tomorrow, but we are given a simple truth to stand on. Our God goes before us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Yes, life is fragile. But in our weakness, He is strong. I really like that video, how it expresses in our weakness He is strong. And oftentimes as circumstances crumble around us, it, it humbles us to a place of brokenness where God begins to work. And that video we just showed speaks to that truth. And we're going to look at that today in this new series in the book of Nehemiah. And I've been asking the Lord for the words to share with you. And Every time I stand at this pulpit or every time I do a video message, and I want God to give me the right words uh, to express His heart to you and, and for our, our current situation. And I believe God is wanting us to spend time in this book of Nehemiah and to talk about rebuilding. There's a lot of things around us right now that the infrastructure is, is slowly crumbling and, and there's things that are very concerning, and, and there's a lot of people that are walking through a lot of different things. And it also, it develops into things that are spiritual, and that there's a, a crumbling, there's a, an infrastructure spiritually, if you will, that, that needs to be rebuilt. And I think we'll camp out in this book until I feel like God says to move elsewhere and so if you have your Bibles with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. I do uh, want to do a little setup here before we begin our, our time together in this book. It's something to note that uh, there's a little bit of a storyline developed here where the, uh, the Jewish people, they were in exile and they've been able to return back to the city of Jerusalem. And we see this, this cupbearer named Nehemiah and this moment where he hears of what's happening in Jerusalem, and it breaks his heart, and, and he feels like he needs to do something about it. And So to understand a little bit of, of the context, we need to understand that, 
that the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. In the nation of Judah, there was the, the city of Jerusalem. Now, Israel had been conquered by the Assyrian nation, and uh, so the northern kingdom is no longer, and the southern kingdom, over a hundred years later, then gets taken into captivity, and they're conquered by Babylon, and the, the king there is King Nebuchadnezzar. And as they're in exile, Persia defeats Babylon and takes over, and the king Cyrus of Persia sends Jews back to Jerusalem out of exile to start rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed in Jerusalem. Fast forward some more, and you now have King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, and this is the moment where Nehemiah is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes. And to understand what a cupbearer is, it's someone who would drink the wine, you know, taste-testing things to make sure that there wasn't poison. So they were sort of the, the, the first layer, if you will. And you imagine the amount of trust that Nehemiah had with King Artaxerxes. And so to give you some of the, the guys that God used to, to rebuild in Jerusalem, you have Zerubbabel, who would help them and lead restoration in the temple back when King Cyrus gave them the ability to go back home and to do that. Then you have Nehemiah who would help lead restoration of the walls of the city. Their walls, their fortified city, completely demolished and they're left vulnerable. Fortified walls would have meant blessing. Fortified walls would have meant protection over a city and they were laid to bear. And Nehemiah would help with the restoration of the walls. And then Ezra would help lead in the restoration of worship in Jerusalem. And the books Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book, and you see Ezra's account, and then you see Nehemiah's account. And we're going to look at that here in Nehemiah chapter 1. But before we get into the Scriptures, before we read from God's Word, I want to take a moment to pray together and ask the Lord to speak into our hearts at this time. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You for your word, your inspired word. And as you use Nehemiah to help rebuild the walls in the city of Jerusalem, you use Nehemiah to write these things down. And here today, in this moment, we can look to how you use Nehemiah and the things that you, you've done in his life and how you can do those things in our own life today. So, Father, I pray that you'd open up our hearts to receive from you. Show us areas in our life that, that you want to rebuild, that you want to work on. Reveal those things to us as we spend this time in the Word together. We ask for your blessing and your anointing over this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're following along, we'll start in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The verses will also be on the screen if you're watching. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, 
came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. For in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. As you see Nehemiah laying these things out, I do believe there's a bit of a process that Nehemiah goes through when he hears from Hanani that Jerusalem is in shambles, it breaks his heart, and that's one of the first things that takes place here in this passage in verse 4, Nehemiah becomes broken. He becomes broken. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourn. Something's happening in Nehemiah's heart. God is softening his heart towards the purpose that he was going to lay out for him. This is a brokenness that moves Nehemiah to start seeking the Lord. Not just a brokenness, oh, I've got, I've got some pity, that's too bad. You think about it, and oh man, I, that's unfortunate. It broke him. Broke him to a place where he began to seek the Lord because he needed an answer for how to help. It broke him. And so as he seeks, the next thing that happens is Nehemiah fasts and he prays. He fasts and he prays. There are many reasons why a Christian would consider fasting, and in Nehemiah's case, this fasting was because of repentance. Brings him to a place of brokenness, and he begins to fast, seeking the Lord. Other ways Christians fast, and the reasons for that is they need spiritual strength against an enemy attack, or they want to break demonic bondage in their life. 
In Matthew 17, Jesus mentioned that there's certain demonic activity that could be relieved except by prayer and fasting. Maybe people fast to awaken a spiritual hunger for God that may be dulled because there's a desire for other things in their life. And people might fast to to test and see the desires that are deep down inside of us that control us. I like how John Piper describes this, that when he fasts, there's things about him that start to come out in the flesh when he's really hungry and when he's really tired and, and how he treats his family during seasons of fasting. He can see areas of his life that he needs to work on and he needs God's help. There are many reasons why Christians fast, and one of the big ones is, is a desire to hear from God. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. In his brokenness, in his repentance, he wanted to hear from the Lord, what, what do I do about this, the thing that you're moving upon my heart? So while Nehemiah is processing all of this, you'll see in verse 5 that Nehemiah remembers God's promise, that even though this city is completely uh, just vulnerable with the, the walls and the gates destroyed, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps, who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commandments. God, God keeps His promises And Nehemiah remembers God's promise. And after he remembers God's promise, Nehemiah then begins to move into a place where he starts to confess his sin, confess these areas where he's gone wrong. And even though the issue is with Judah, Nehemiah searches his own heart for sin, and he confesses it to the Lord. He says, I've confessed that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands and the decrees and regulations. Oftentimes when we hear a word from the Lord, sometimes we can think of other people that are struggling in areas of sin. Boy, this would be a good word for them. That would bring them great encouragement. That would bring them great victory. But you got to look at how Nehemiah takes a humble posture here and says, what about me? What about my own life? Areas in which I have sinned. Sometimes Christians will take the Bible and they'll look at it and they'll look at other people and they'll make judgment calls about other people. I want to encourage us to take God's Word like a mirror and look at your own life. Look at the reflection of your own heart, the things that you are walking through and saying, God, what do you want to do in my life? There's sin in my life that I need to take care of. Nehemiah goes into confession, and he brings it to the Lord. Another point that's made here in verse 11 is that Nehemiah delights in honoring God. Verse 11, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. That word delight there means to take pleasure in or to desire. We desire to delight in God. And you cannot delight in God and desire sin at the same time. 
And do not expect God to hear your prayers if you're delighting in sin. Notice confession came before verse 11 where he talks about delighting in honoring the Lord. We need to make sure we're living lives that are in check with God's Word, with, with His commands, with His instructions, that we're living lives of obedience. And as we search the Scriptures, we need to ask the Holy Spirit, reflect, is there things here in my life that need to change? And I ask that, that God would give you the wisdom and the understanding of areas in your life that, that need to change. Nehemiah becomes broken. Nehemiah fasts and prays. He remembers God's promise and he confesses his sin and he delights in honoring God. I hope as followers of Christ, that's our heartbeat, that roadmap there, that we, we have hearts that beat for what God's heart beats for, that we're broken for what he's broken for but broken to a place of response where we begin to, to fast and to pray and we, we stand on God's promises and we confess our sin, the things that are offensive to God, the rebellion, we, we bring that to Him and ask for forgiveness. But then we live lives as we delight and honor the Lord. We live in light of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we close, I want to highlight some things today that I think you can see the cross in Nehemiah's story, and I think you can see the cross of Jesus in Nehemiah chapter 1. One interesting thing is Jerusalem's walls and gates had been destroyed for about 140 years prior to this point. Nehemiah already knew this, but something about his brother Hanani's words struck a chord that day. And Nehemiah weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. And when I look at this, I think, Nehemiah, for Nehemiah, the truth about the situation in Jerusalem was all up here in his head. But then by the words of his brother, it moved from his head to his heart. And by God's grace, it changes him. It changes him by God's grace. By God's grace, the message of, of Jesus needs to move from our heads to our hearts. Not just knowing about Jesus or knowing that there's a way in which I'd like to live, but to truly embrace that into the core of who we are and begin to walk in that. It changes us. Something I find interesting is that Hanani, Nehemiah's brother, his Hebrew name means God is gracious. God is gracious. Can you see how the Scriptures point to the cross? God, in His grace, brings this message from Hanani to Nehemiah, and it moves upon Nehemiah's heart. And it leads him to a place of brokenness, to a place of change. And God, in His grace, brings the message of Jesus to each one of us. And it moves upon our hearts and leads us 
to a place of brokenness. It leads us to a place of change. In spite of Judah's rebellion, God, in His grace, arranges for Nehemiah to meet with them and help them rebuild. And in spite of our rebellion, God, in His grace, arranges Jesus to meet with us and help us to rebuild. Can you see how the Scriptures point to the cross? Nehemiah's name in Hebrew means Yahweh has comforted. And God would send Nehemiah to comfort His people. And in the same way, God has sent Jesus to comfort His people. And Nehemiah, though being over a thousand miles away, departs to save those people who are living in rebellion. And Jesus all the way from heaven, departs to save those who are living in rebellion. Can you see how the Scriptures point to the cross? We have a video that we want to show you before we move into a time of response together. Now every one of us here tonight knows that there's something wrong inside. We have a tendency within us that disturbs us. We long for victory over sin, sins of thought and word and deed. And the Bible reveals that we are born radically wrong. We are members of a human race that has turned its back upon God. There's something inside that makes it easier to go wrong than to go right. And some deep evil seems to sap the human race. There's a bias in the bowl that takes it off course. There's a gravity that pulls us down when we want to rise high in spiritual attainment. And the secret is that something within us has died. The spiritual part of our being that God gave us has died because of sin. This is the reason why we can neither see nor enter the kingdom of heaven unless there is a radical change. And here is a great revelation from Holy Scripture, and we also know it in our own experience, that we cannot make this radical change ourselves. That God says you must have, you must know, you must experience if you are ever to see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Why the cross? Because on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin for you. He bore your sin, sir, in his body on the tree. He was the only man who ever went through hell on earth. And he did it for you, to cleanse you from the stain of sin, to deliver you from the power of sin, to clear you from the penalty of sin, so that there could be nothing between you and God. Christ Jesus bore your sin in his body on the tree. So, ladies and gentlemen, we come to this great conclusion tonight, that unless God is willing to do something about it, we are sunk, and there is no hope of us ever entering or seeing the kingdom of heaven. But here is the Christian gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the good news, that God loves us. Because he loves us, he's willing, he's yearning to undertake this great change for us, if only we are willing. And because Christ has died and risen again, 
I have wonderful news for you here tonight. Hundreds of you here yearn to know what it is to be in the kingdom of God. Hundreds of you want to know the victory that God gives to those that belong to Christ. If you will repent, believe and confess, God will do the rest. He will come into your cleansed being that he now possesses and he will live his life in you. He will give you eternal life, divine life. Right now you will enter the kingdom of heaven and you will live in the kingdom of heaven whilst you're on earth. And when death comes, it won't be death. You'll be with Christ and you'll go into the glories of eternal heaven. That is what God will do for you tonight if you will repent and believe and confess it. As we close our time together, I look back at the fact that Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. Cupbearer being somebody who would die in someone's place, taking poison upon themselves rather than the other person. And I look at Jesus, the sin bearer who died in our place, taking sin upon himself so that you and I can be set free from sin. Do you see how the Scriptures point to the cross? Just as Jerusalem went into this this time of rebuilding, I look around in our current state and We're starting to reopen things slowly. That's not the case in every state. There's going to be some rebuilding. And it's going to be it's going to be one of those things where we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and and rebuilding is going to take work. But looking Looking deeper than that is what is God wanting to rebuild here in your heart and in your life? Perhaps there's an area of sin that you need to confess to the Lord just like Nehemiah and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps you need to desire or delight more in honoring the Lord. Perhaps there's relationships that that you need to rebuild. Maybe that relationship is with the one who wants to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we close in response today, there's there's a couple things I want to ask us. And by God's grace, by God's grace, What is he speaking to you right now? And ask the Holy Spirit right now, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to respond to your word today? And as he shows you that, as God reveals that to you, go in to seeking him and confessing choosing to live 
in faith and obedience to God Almighty. Perhaps you're watching or listening today, and, and for you, there's never been a moment in your life where the cross of Jesus Christ has transformed your life. Well, I want to pray with you and give you the opportunity to allow the grace of God through the power of Jesus Christ to transform your life and begin begin a building process that will move you from death to life, to move you from sin to having His righteousness and being made whole. And I want to lead us now in this time of prayer, in this time of response. Will you, will you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you that you're a God of restoration, a God of the rebuild, a God of redemption. And Holy Spirit, as you're speaking into our lives today, show us how to respond. Show us the steps we need to take to live in obedience to you, to live in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, for anyone right now that desires the transformation and change and the work of Jesus in their life, I want to lead you in prayer. Just say this in your heart. If you're at home alone, just repeat these words. If you're at home Ask the Lord to enter into the place you're at and move upon your heart. If you're in your vehicles, ask God to come in and encounter you right now and say this prayer, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I come to you with a heart that is ready to respond. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I confess it to you today. And I need you to save me. Forgive me of my sin and make me a new person and help me to walk in new life in obedience to you. I thank you for your presence in my life. And today I'm asking that you'd be my Lord and my Savior. Help me to live for you from this day forward. Build in my life. Build the things that you want to do, the purposes that you have. Build them in my life. And we thank you for this. We thank you for this gift of salvation. Lord, as we close this time of, of response and prayer, I just ask, Lord, that you'd keep speaking to us as we worship with this song. The things that you want to do in our hearts, bring those forward and do a mighty work right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.